Awesome date. April 27th, 2009. Awesome topic. Fallout 3. This is the Awesome Cast. And welcome back to the Awesome Cast. I'm Basil. I'm DJ Anabito. And with us tonight, over the magics of the internet, Skype. And Skype is. Hi, folks. I'm Daryl Surratt. By the time you hear this, I'll actually be having terrible surgery. So uh, the magic of post production of the, the the live date. It's not a very awesome date for me personally, but yeah, I um. I'm one-third of the hosts of the Anime World Order podcast, AnimeWorldOrder.com, and I'm also a contributing writer for Otaku USA magazine. Buy it now because I just finished my deadlines. Also, by the time you hear this, I will hopefully not be dead as a result of having this corrective uh, nose surgery. I have a deviated septum and getting septoplasty, which I'm told is a fairly harmless procedure, but the recovery is horrendous. So, fingers crossed. Maybe, maybe this is the last time you'll ever hear me speak. Oh, wow. That's, so I now feel a heavy burden upon my shoulders. That's right. Great wow. power and a great responsibility. I have to master you really well this time. <laughs> okay, yeah, the whole idea was since you, your, your podcast is all about the anime stuff, whereas we have no, you know, no bars on Holden. We're a catch-all nerd podcast. <laughs> Rip versus Zeus. <laughs> and so we figured, you know, since I know you guys play video games, you should have a chance to talk about video games. And since you don't have a podcast about video games, we do. We thought we'd invite you over. Works for me. Especially since I know nothing about Fallout 3, so... Oh boy! What we're what, off to a great start. What here. prompted the decision to talk about this? And I should note that you decided this months in advance. Um, pretty much, it was actually our other guy, Eric. He was like, "Man, we need to do a Fallout Three podcast." And I was thinking, you know, I don't know a damn thing about that. All right. But well, I fortunately, don't... you're in luck because I happen to know quite a bit about this topic. Uh, I've played all of them since uh, the first one. I've played the various spinoffs for better or for worse. We'll, maybe we'll talk about those depending on uh, the level of interest. But, yeah, I grew up with this franchise, and so I can talk pretty well about it. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. But I guess first we'll move – oh, right, our stuff. Uh, of course, stuff. you can reach us at awesomecast at awesomecast.com. Where you can OSM, us, correct? It's OSM, G-A-S-T, uh, not G-A-S-T. Uh, where you can leave comments in the comments section. You can send us an email at awesomecast at gmail.com or you can also leave us a voicemail which you can find on the website as well as our brand new hosted forums that no one actually posts in you could post there you could be the first post 
Well, I'd say I did an introductory post, but I haven't bothered since then because no one posts. What is your forum software of choice? Um, actually, there's a local um, Huntsville group called the Dead Worker Dead Party Dead Workers Party, and they have a giant slew of podcasts. They do like they do a podcast every day. Um, they just have it under different names, and so they have a whole full like forum network. And they were like, "Hey, you guys are local too. We made y'all a forum." And I'm like, "Okay, that'll work." So this is entirely not my doing at all. I just make use of it. I wish I could just leech on to somebody else's success in exactly. that sort of way. We're moochers. Yeah, we're, we're totally moochers, and <laughs> they don't mind it, so we don't mind it either. Yes. Anyway, I think... So I guess uh, we should move on to a moment of awesome? Sure, that works. A moment of awesome. I still have music for this. <laughs> you better get some music for this. I'll use this instead of music for this. That's how professional we are, folks. That's right. <laughs> I'll make it as a... Come along, one of these days when I'm not lazy. You want to start? I'll start. Then you start. I will start. Right uh, now. I am. Oh, I would start unless be. you would leave me alone. Okay, go. Uh, the thing that I've been really doing is there's been a bunch of new things coming out. Like the new spring anime season is hit with a bazillion shows. And I've slowly started wading through that. But what I've really been doing is been playing Outrun on 360. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying like, oh boy, you went back to... The beginning, or not really the beginning, but I mean the old Sega days. But there's a new one, I guess, huh? Yeah, there's a new one. It's based actually off the. Um, there's the original one that was for the arcades, you know, the Genesis level graphics and everything. And then a few years ago, they re-released, they remade a new Outrun. I think it was Outrun Two, which was much more in line with like Xbox and PS2 level graphics, which I think was released as Outrun Two. And then I think it was Outrun Coast to Coast which was a pseudo-sequel, which was the same thing, just remixed. This is the newest version of it, which is an arcade title or a PSN title, which I believe it's 10 bucks, which you can download now. It just released last Wednesday. And it's pretty much the Xbox version of the first re- release of OutRun 2. But it plays very similarly. You've got you know, your branching paths, where if you go left at your choices, you, you get it's easier, right is harder. And in order to play through all the levels, you have to, you know, play through it multiple times to choose which route. Each route has its own theme. Like, it might be, like, a set of woods or super high mountains or an Aztec temple. But it's an incredibly arcade you know, arcade racer to the to max. You know, you, you hold the, you, you left, you leave off the acceleration, hit that brake to tap the acceleration, you immediately start drifting. In no way is it realistic at all. I hope not. That's it's also got its like heart attack. Drifting. Oh, it's totally realistic. I mean, it's also had the heart attack mode, which is where, like in the original Outrun, you have it's yourself and your girlfriend who's riding the passenger seat. And in heart attack mode, she gives you like directives like collect the blue coins or pass cars or drift. And depending on how well you do these things, gives you amounts of hearts, which also scores you. And it's, it's a really fun game. I'm a huge fan of racers. It's weird. I can play FPS. I can't play an FPS to save my life, but I can play racers so the cow co- cows come home. My enjoyment of racers is generally the arcade style ones, more like the old time rad racer, ridge racer sort of thing. I'd never really bothered to buy them though, because the amount of replayability wasn't really that great. Whereas the opposite side of things, where all the replayability 
replayability was was things like Gran Turismo, which is far too sim-like for my tastes. And I'm the opposite of both of you. I prefer Forza 2, and I like the Gran Turismo series as opposed to the arcade racers. <laughs> well, most people who are into the car games like yeah. that game, and I just lack the gene that makes you care about cars. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm sort of weird that I sort of care about cars, but I'm not any good at the realistic stuff, So I, but I'm pretty decent at the arcade stuff, and for me it's a lot more fun to do crazy jumps and spins and turns than to drive 60 miles an hour around a track. Well, yeah. yeah I is- think my other big problem with the racing games is rubber banding. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the notion of whenever you're in the lead, the AI will artificially speed up everybody behind you so that they're constantly sort of giving you a challenge. Of course, if you fall behind, you get no such advantage. And it strikes me as odd that after all these decades, they still can't code competent racer AI that they don't need to rubber band. Yeah, I can kind of understand that. The thing I like about them is if you know how to play them, you're you are fully engaged that entire race. Like you're doing all kinds of calculations in your head, like, oh I had this turn going up here, I should take it here and these areas. And other people just want to say, you know, fuck that. I just want to burst through and hit walls like Basil over here. <laughs> yeah, too bad F Zero is uh not gone in that direction and instead became the most frustrating game ever made. <laughs> It's true. I want to issue that doesn't have a banding because the full thing is based on how well you can actually drive on these courses. Mm. Right. Like, it's not know, a race. It's more a timed thing, correct? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a time thing because each section is timed. It's like it's an arcade game. So you start with so many seconds, and then as you go through it, you it extends. each checkpoint extends. So it's really just how well you drive, not so much, can you beat these people? Right. That's what I've been. That's what I've been doing. So, what have you been doing, Mister Reed? Um, I'd like to uh, make two announcements for my Mono Awesome. The first one being that the music collective that I'm part of, called Dogaijin Records or Recordings, released our first sampler pack uh, a week ago, and it's generally just you know nerd-centric dance music. I've got a track on there that's a remix of a Symphony of the Night song. There's a chip tune song on there. Uh, my other buddy, DJ Sinisman, he's got a remix of a Koda Kumi song on there. And it's definitely worth a listen if you want to go there, check it out. And uh, the other thing I've been doing a lot of is Star Ocean. Boy, is Star Ocean fun. Star- wait, which, wait, back up. Which Star Ocean? The fourth one. All the right. The one for the 360. Well, hear me out real quick. Boy, is it fun. I've actually made it to disc two, which is like crazy when it comes to me and multi-disc rpgs did you enjoy part three <laughs> i haven't played it okay that played. that is that is why you still have faith in star ocean as a franchise right there because well, star ocean 2 is kind of like the last good one and even then the dubbing was horrible and part three had the worst twist ever oh my god the dubbing is still horrible in four and all the characters are horrible i hate every single one of them but it's like the gameplay is great. I love playing the game, but when it comes to a cinema scene or some storyline, I'm like, oh, shit, i got to stop and listen to this crap. That the, the characters are so full of drivel, and they're all the, uh, the, anime, the anime shtick. You know, you've got the cat girl, and you've got the 
creepy lolly chick and you know honestly it, i understand exactly where you're coming from because i think that's part of why i just I have to confess, I've not really played JRPGs since Final Fantasy 3 for Super Nintendo, a.k.a. Final Fantasy 6. I just sort of became totally disillusioned with the fact that they seem to be just eschewing their gameplay for the sake of telling their story. In this case, their story happens to be terrible and you lucked out because you like the system enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love the gameplay. Story is okay. It's definitely not your typical fantasy RPG. But, oh, the characters. Oh, they make me want to stab myself in the eye. <laughs> yeah, I bought that, and I started it, and then I just turned it back off. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand that for you. Well, that's okay, because I just got a hold of Henry Hatsworth of the Puzzling Adventure, and that that sounds amazing, but <laughs> I haven't actually played it yet, so I can't really talk about it. Right. Just going okay. by the strength of the name. Here you go. That it was on to me by a friend, so... You can't argue with free. I mean, really. Well, for understand, it's a side-scroll adventure game on one screen. At the bottom screen, it's Puzzle League, which is my favorite puzzle game. So, in theory, this should be great. So, uh, Daryl, you have anything to add for your moment of awesome? Yeah, I can uh, sum it up in three words. Shin Mazinger Z. Who's watching this thing? <laughs> oh, I'm watching the hell out of that. Okay, good. Then all you need to know is that this is the show of the year automatically i mean i know it's april and i know it's only been three episodes but i'm pretty sure this is the show of the year just because it's mazinger z by yasuhiro imagawa what else do you need this is like what giant robo was to the works of mitsuteri yokoyama this is for going to guy oh yeah i was i was surprised to see like violence jack right in there and like I believe it was uh, Demon Lord Dante in that first episode, not yeah, that's right. not Jack specifically, but yeah. I mean, it kind of saddens me that no one's watching this show. Not really. People think they need that prior knowledge. Nope, you don't need any prior knowledge. This is going to be the very first thing you watch. But they assume that since this show's been running for 30 years or whatever, and they've had the sequels on and off, that, oh, I didn't watch the other one, so I can't watch this one. Not true. And well, you, you notice a lot of the same people will gladly watch uh, the new FMA, which does the exact yeah. same thing style-wise as Shin Mazinger. First episode is just in the middle and a bunch of characters, and you don't know who anybody is. And the second episode is when they go back and do like the more standard origin story kind of thing. Yet everyone's watching FMA, no one's watching Mazinger Z. And part of that is just pre-installed fan base, but a big part of that is just Existing prejudice, anti-robot people. It's your, or even anti-like 70s looking character designs. Yes, don't like yeah. those retro character designs. You know the amount of people who say it's got a bad animation. It's got very good animation. You just don't like that uh, thick line heavy character design work. Which is a kind of common prevailing attitude among a lot of people. It's kind of rough. I, I'm weird that I've seen many Gona Guy works. Mazinger Z was something I never had a chance to get into. So it's not really that him. weird, because if you think about it, a big part of why he's popular everywhere else in the world except here in America is everywhere else in the world grew up with him, and we did not. What's the really the only Mazinger that we can get commercially prior to this? Or, or even now, it's Mazenkaiser. It's Transer Z, you can't really get that. You can't really watch that right now. You can buy a Mazenkaiser, but even that was meant to be a nostalgia trip, a fan service thing. This is meant to be a, a remake, a reboot, quote-unquote. 
But if you don't know who the people are, it's a little harder to get into it. So, so yeah, well, it's hard for people to get into it if you're an English-speaking fan. It's not really like there's a fan subs of it, that sort of thing. And for me, this was the perfect time because, like I said, it's Imagawa. The man's a genius. And I now can watch it, even though episode you know one was really episode finale, episode two is an actual episode one, and I can actually now enjoy it, and I get to enjoy all this years of backstory that's reimagined in brand new, pristine, H- pretty HD animation. Yeah, I don't know if there's really years of backstory, because the thing is, the way Mazen Kaiser is, you can figure out pretty much everything there is to know about Mazinger Z within the first five minutes of Mazen Kaiser. So if you've not seen that one, Basil, I, I recommend you, you track that one down. It's pretty easy to find nowadays. I'm pretty sure my friend Kevin probably has it. Borrow it. Watch it. You will not regret it. So right, right now I'm currently borrowing a Overman King Gainer. So. Good show. Yeah, he, that's what he said. And I'm also recently started Legend of Galactic Heroes finally. Pretty long investment. Make sure to pay attention. That's what I've been learning. It works better if you watch several episodes at a time. Yeah, I tend to I tend to sort of treat it kind of like a movie. I'll watch like two to four episode chunks. Yeah, well, that's the way to watch it because the, that's the way it was released. One laser disc at a time, four episode sets. It's a good way to watch that show. You can't really watch it one a week or you'll be there for about two years and change. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, very true. Uh, but it's it's been pretty interesting so far. I guess why should we move on into the world of awesome? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Folks, if you're wondering whether there's weird pause in between, it's because this is our first time actually doing something over the internet like this. Normally we're used to seeing everyone in the same room so we can do all the visual cues, whereas Daryl's off in Florida, we're off in Alabama, so... Yeah, normally they have all those recording tricks, like if somebody wants to start speaking, they'll do a hand gesture to denote that, oh, after you finish that sentence, I would like to start speaking. We don't have that luxury here. Going, going balls out of here. Though I, it was interesting, I was in a feminism panel at uh, MTAC this year, and the way they had us set up on the, at the table, there was four of us, but there was no microphones or anything, so it was actually a similar issue where I was never sure who was going to talk next. Because mm. in a lot of panels, if you see someone pull up a microphone to their mouth, you know they're going to talk. Not this one. You just have to scream over the other chicks, huh? That's right. Oh, okay, cool. How did you get on that panel, incidentally? I'd like to hear the story. Um, I was browsing the Intech forums because I was on the podcasting panel there. And I was helping drive up, you know, people's in, you know, interest in the panel. And then I noticed that there was a uh, thing called Sojo Mojo. I'm like, oh, I like Sojo. And the lady there who was running it was like, I'm looking for a male panelist because I would like to get a male perspective. Oh, I see. She wanted a punching bag. Um, yes. I would have just I, played I, the gimmick. Well, I, I, I would have I, I would have shown up with a pipe <laughs> and, and just... Really, all you need to do is say show up with a pipe, and that just conjures up the the perfect jerk image. It's true. But I sent I sent a private message, hey, I'll be your token male, and she was like, okay. And that was pretty much it. How many times was the word patriarchy used? I don't think it was. That is not an acceptable panel, then. (laughs) What was interesting to me was how much they dislike Rumikyo Takahashi. Well, I, I also dislike... Uh, her very much as well. 
But yeah, she, they they hate her because they're jealous of her success, man. No, I'm, probably has more to do with her uh, one-note characters and her inability to write an ending, and also the fact that she swims in money. It was mostly the Kagome. You, you know, I've never seen that show. Not a single episode. Yeah, neither have You're I. Better off, both of you. It, it, it ain't all that. <laughs> I thought we, I thought this was the world of awesome, and here we are talking about you know who. Okay, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna stop this whole anime crap and go back into video games. Yes, the world of awesome. This is where we play music. This one's from. All right, so world of awesome news of awesome. This is sort of not awesome, but I grabbed it anyway. Apparently, a new study claims that one in twelve. 8.5% of gamers ages 8 to 18 show signs of being addicted to their hobby. The research was conducted by Iowa State University and the National Institute of Media and the Family. Oh boy, it's got the family in the name. You know they're mad about something. <laughs> yes, they compared the young gamers' playing habits to the American Psychiatric Association's list of symptoms of gambling addiction. Drugs! The uh, study subjects showed addictive traits, indicative behaviors such as lying to family and friends about video game usage, using video games to escape the problems or bad feelings, becoming restless or irritable when attempting to stop playing video games, skipping homework in order to play video games, and doing poorly on a school assignment or test because they spent too much time on games. See, I fail to see what's wrong with all of that. I think they don't get that these are children. Probably. <laughs> and who in the world wants to do homework or say right. Halo? It's not really like, oh, you're not an addict because you're a kid who doesn't want to do their homework. That's uh, I, I understand what the signs of addiction are, but there aren't really very many kids who, given the choice between doing their homework and playing stuff, are going to choose doing homework. Only the real nerds will do something like that. Well, it's also things like, you know, they're basing this off, you know, gambling addiction. Yeah, gambling is the kind of thing that can seriously ruin your life. Like, the way they're drawing the comparison is if to say, all right, lying to family and friends about usage. Okay, there's a difference between lying to family and friends about how much time you spend playing a game versus how much money you spend on lotto tickets. I mean, really, the... I think a better, like, if they were to use the sort of criteria, I can see it's much more as saying checking adults who play WoW too much. Yeah. That's, it's not even, that's still not good, but it's a closer correlation to, I think, that, that sort of standard. I think so, too. I think the, the WoW addiction stories are a little more in keeping with the kind of people who have, like, a gambling addiction or, or that sort of thing, because they're the kind of people who, all right, you're you're grown up and you've got like real responsibilities, like hey, feed that kid or something like that, and yet you're off doing your raid. But you've got to get that epic drop, man. That's I mean, true. it's the most you important do. thing in the world. God, you need that extra five percent DPS. Obviously, otherwise you'll get kicked out of your raid if you don't. But really, though, I mean, anything, I and mean, maybe this is just me being horribly uh, intolerant but anytime i see some study by uh, on media by a company or a group or an organization that has the family in it you know they've got some sort of agenda and the agenda is that the media is corrupting our youth 
has there ever not been that case where they're saying, okay, these are, you know, teaching kids horrible family values or, you know, they're making kids, you know, jerks or whatever. They're, um, I don't know. These people don't really sit well with me, so perhaps I should just uh, sit quiet. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where video games are the new media punching bag. Exactly. Video games are the scapegoat for people to blame. Oh, Johnny isn't listening in school. It must be video games. Or, oh, he beat my friend up. It must be video games. That kind of thing. And you know, I'm willing to bet, like, in 10 or 20 years, there'll be some new media thing yeah. that catches all the kids' attention that will be old and stodgy and not understand. Probably. <laughs> I mean, It's called Twitter. Imagine, imagine the 80s and 90s. It was violent television shows or violent movies. No, that was video. the 70s and the 60s, <laughs> man. In the 80s, it was still the video games. <laughs> was it? Galaga, Galaga encouraged robberies and such? Something like that. <laughs> but uh, speaking as a se- on that sort of same subject, um, apparently... The syndicated political communist George Will um, does, doesn't think gamers should be allowed to vote. He said, Denim is the infantile uniform of a nation in which entertainment frequently cre- uh, features childlike adults. And he indicates Seinfeld and Two and a Half Men and cartoons for adults, King of the Hill. Do, do you know who, jo- who here knows who this man is? Who is George Will? Do you guys know exactly? Have you heard the name prior to this story? Never heard of him. Not before. Okay, George Will is uh, is quite famous. He is sort of considered, for what it's worth, uh, one of the leading voices of conservative intellectual thought. And um, so people listen to what this guy says. Unfortunately, he's full of crap. As they would assume to be, and I'm sorry I'm letting my, you know, colors show here, and I don't mean to offend, yeah, I do mean to offend people, but I don't care. The the problem with this guy is that he's he's comically out of touch with freaking everything. Um, the, The premise of his article isn't just, you know, gamers shouldn't be allowed to vote. The idea is that since he's such a curmudgeon that he sees people dressed in denim, and he thinks back to an older time where, okay... That's not really uh, the attire of a grown-up who's uh, got real responsibilities. And therefore, he then looks and says, okay, you people are all doing childish things like, one, not dressing like an adult and playing video games and, you know, that sort of thing. And yet he can't wonder – he can't have an answer as to why youths turn away from republicanism and conservative as an ideology. Maybe it's because they – Everything about their ideology, at least you know, from the smart people's side, which is to say, uh, nobody on that side is uh, not really that geared towards the youth vote. I mean, really, what, what, what about the way you dress really determines like your, your worth as a responsible adult? What about you know the fact that you play games? Is it, would it be more acceptable if you watched football? Would it be more acceptable? If you, well, I guess societally it would be, but the fact of the matter is he's, he's at least acknowledging the point that the majority of gamers nowadays are, are in their 30s. And, and honestly, you know, a lot of people who play football also play Madden. It's true. You know, and a lot of the same people that, you know, would be that sort of thing also play video games as well as the rest of us. I think it really just boils down to get off my lawn, you stupid kids. 
that's more or less his position there. I mean, voter disenfranchisement is kind of like the key strategical like cornerstone of conservatism is is getting people to say, hey, you shouldn't vote. Don't even bother. Because when the people who they don't want voting vote, they don't vote for conservatives. How about that? I, I can definitely see that, and I understand your point. I mean, that's kind of what we sort of, you know, people who didn't vote for, you know, Obama or Democrats for the past two, previous eight years, that was the whole big beef with the, this last election. Mm-hmm. I guess it also reflects how out of touch the guy is because, for one, he, he doesn't really fully want to accept the fact that cartoons don't have to be just for children and video games don't have to be just for children. And so, and he also, even in that article, he was like going on about like, you know, you're going to see these movies about Batman. <laughs> really, George Will? Is, is this where you are now? Why do I listen to you? Why do you get paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars? Why do you get to be on TV? Oh, that's right. Because you're stupid sounding, and that uh, you know generates well, interest in ratings. <laughs> well, I mean, like you know, he, he mentioned Seinfeld. You know, since when has Seinfeld actually been an actual you know show oh, that's been really exactly. been that wasn't reruns. hip among the kids? Two yeah. and a half men. Well, two and a half men. Okay, is <laughs> my being mom watches Two and a half men. Let me just say that. But like Seinfeld has has been in reruns for years now. <laughs> But, but he also says that the characters in it are not mature characters. I, I really want to see when he discovers all those, these terrible Judd Apatow romantic comedies that are the real poster child of the man children need to grow up. Kind of Maybe he likes those movies because that's the moral of every single Judd Apatow comedy is you man children need to grow up and become responsible. It's true. But yeah, uh, screw this guy. I hate him. Yeah, let's move on. Yes, well, speaking of... Something Things cool. that my, my children like. Uh, the Street Fighter Four Championship mode is going to be coming April 24th. All right. What what are the changes? It's going to be uh, mostly stuff for online players. Introducing the introduction of five levels of tournaments. Participating and winning in these tournaments will earn gamers great points. Oh, great. More, more arbitrary points that mean nothing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Except you'll be granted the opportunity to enter even more exclusive tournaments. And they also introduce championship points, which are the equivalent of prize money in Street Fighter 4 Universe. And the higher the grade points of the player's individual tournament will increase the championship point payout. Okay, here's my question. Did anybody ask for this? See, he- Probably not. Here's, here's what I want, and I think, I hope that these features get folded into the Champion Edition, and it's not clear from the news release. I want a double-blind character selection on yes, the ranked yes. matches. I know they said they have it in the tournaments, but I want, it, I want the good changes that they mentioned there to extend over mm-hmm. to the ranked matches because I'm sick and tired of having the guy just sit there, and then I pick my character, and then they make their choice based on who I pick. That's ridiculous. Exactly. It's true. Uh, I've, I've had the same thing happen to you when I played online. The other thing that they said they're adding in, they're going to penalize people who disconnect on loss. Or, like, during the match, they disconnect so it doesn't register as a loss for them or so they don't get penalized right. the points. It's actually going to keep track of your disconnects and show people your percentage of times you disconnect on a match. Now, I want to see that across the board, but I also don't exactly. want it to 
I, I hope they know how to count it to figure out who's the one who did the disconnecting. Because I don't want it to be someone disconnects on me and then it shows me as, oh, I disconnected, you know? That's right. true. That would suck. Because that, would, that, that wouldn't actually fix the problem. No, it would not. I mean, there's other things I'd like to see fixed as well. Things like I personally would like them to have used the HD Remix controls motions for some of the right. more difficult to do things, but that's apparently that's not part of this. Okay, I know some ultra combo. Yeah, do that one. Yeah, no one can do that one. The, more like the Phalong chicken wing kick and Cami yeah. Sulligan combo. You need to do these moves, and it's difficult to do them. I actually have the most trouble with just the simple charge down to up motions on the on my gamepad. It seems uh, terribly hard, but yeah. I uh, the, the list of changes seems all right as long as they extend also to the ranked and, you know, even the other things as well. Well, while we're on it, one of the things I've missed out of the uh, HD remix was the game lobbies. Where yeah, that's the game. number one thing I want to see. Yeah, exactly. Like, and six people come in, and you can bullshit around, talk to each other, say, hey, this is awesome, or, you know... Hey, that was a good move, and you're just having a good time. Right, we'll as the two people are playing, the other people can spectate and comment on what they're seeing. Exactly. Right now, and you're only stuck with playing against one person until you disconnect. Exactly. That's what I don't want. I don't want I'll, I'll play a couple rounds, but I get tired of playing the same person over and over and over again. I want something new, you know? Right, I and wish they did have sort of a, a quarter mode or an arcade mode or whatever the equivalent exactly. was in HD Remix. I'd really like to see that. I don't really think they're quite doing that in this patch, which makes me so not either. very happy. I do like one of the new features, though, the replays. But yeah, the replay I don't good. fully like the way they did it because anyone can view replays, but you need to be in the top 5,000 of that new tournament thing to have permission to upload a video. The, the other thing is you can see input commands of uh, Xbox of 360 replays. only. The PS3 oh. doesn't even get that option. Yeah. Instead, they yeah. get to vote on whether they like something or not. <laughs> Good thing I didn't get the PS3 version. I wonder if people are gonna, if the experienced players are gonna consider that like people watching their replay saying, "Oh, my my secrets are gonna come out with my input commands." Well, you have the option of uploading the video if you want. But here's how, I, here's how I wish it was done. They could do it both ways. They could have it such that anyone could record a replay of the match and then review it with the input display on so you can see your own match and what went right and what went wrong. Right. But if you're in the top 5,000, you can share it with other people. That's how I'd like to see it because, honestly, there are people who beat the crap out of me and I can't tell why. Or I want to exactly. see how they did that combo. I saw it happen, but I wasn't sure... Exactly how, they, did it. how exactly. they pulled that off. And that's the kind of stuff I would like to be able to see by recording my own matches. It doesn't help me to view someone else's replay in that instance. But I don't think they're doing that. I don't think so. Time either. will tell. Right. And at least it's a free upgrade, so I guess all the paid DLC, so. yeah, the paid uh, downloads for the DLC that was already on the disc to probably, I don't know, subsidize the making of this actual new content. <laughs> Oh, costumes. They knew they'd get me somehow. I, I, I was a sucker, and I did get the Femme Fatale pack. <laughs> I only That's got the it, Brawler though. pack because it came with the limited edition. Yeah, and I got the Brawler pack with the limited edition, too. I might, I might go for when they release that compiled, like, all the outfits pack in one thing, but it might just be cheaper to get the individual one since I've already got one of them. Right. 
the being a street fighter in the clutch edition, I kind of wish they released that animated movie as the movie instead of the Chen Li movie. That yeah. animated movie was just okay at best. It was more like Street Fighter the board meeting. <laughs> yes, but it was still way better than the actual Chun Li movie. I think the, the, the movie yeah, was. that movie was laughably terrible, and it will be remembered for all time as somehow managing to be worse than the other one yes. with the with Van Damme. I saw Julia. I saw that the new Chun Li movie. Then I went to go see Dragon Ball. That's a good. And, that's a good evening spent. And I was amazed how much better the Dragon Ball movie was. Really. Yeah. It felt like it was high art comparatively. Not kidding. Uh, I'm not joking. It, the Dragon Ball movie's not good, but it's a definite grade up from the Chun Li movie. Definite grade up. And speaking of Chun Li, if you don't have a 360 or a PS3, if you have a PC that can run it, it's coming out May 1st. Oh, the PC port? Yeah. Capcom's PC ports are on and off. Like, I know their Devil May Cry 4 port was really good, but that was only because it wasn't a port at all. Devil May Cry 4 was developed for the PC, first and foremost. Something tells me that Street Fighter 4 was not developed on the PC as its primary platform. No. Probably not. But then there's stuff like Resident Evil 4, which started off not so good, then they patched in, and it was decent. Uh, they had, like, a texture pack and stuff that actually made the textures actually worth, you know, playing on the PC for. And, but it, it took a while for that to actually kick in after the game had already come out. Yeah, I generally speaking, that's kind of what I hope that they do whenever they do console to PC ports. Because nothing gets me more annoyed than when I play a PC game and you can tell they stripped it down to make it also work on the Xbox or something like that. Like, Fear 2. Uh, I, the original Fear is like one of the greatest FPS games ever. I know you don't play them, but Fear Two was uh, it was all right, but it was a, a far cry from the first one because they consolized it. Deus Ex is the ultimate example of this between the Part One and Part Two Invisible War. And just uh, I really don't like it, but I guess it's just the reality of the way the industry works now. Consoles just tend to it tends to sell more, and it's it's harder to pirate. Yeah. It's not exactly, I mean, you can still do it if you know what you're doing, but right. it's a lot more work than PC does. But I, I like the few companies that, that go the extra effort into their PC ports, like BioWare. The PC ports, everything yeah. they do is always better. Uh, Bethesda's the same way. Hey, we're going to talk about them in a minute. It's true. Just saying. <laughs> Actually, we're running over our news longer than I thought, so I'll skip to Bethesda. They announced a brand new Fallout uh, today. Yeah, Actually. as a matter of fact. It's, um, the premise of it is it's called uh, New Vegas. It's not really Fallout 4, but uh, very much like New Reno in Fallout 2. The idea of this, I guess it's going to be, you know, Las Vegas. Similar idea. Have any of you played Fallout 2? I know I think Basil said he did. Yeah, I've, been, I've played it for the past week or so. I'm still going through Actually, I started playing it to prepare for this podcast. Oh, because so you actually hadn't played it prior? This is like a new thing for you? Yeah, when I was when Fallout had come out on PC, I didn't own a computer. At the time I got on a computer afterwards. Okay, so, so came out in like ninety eight, ninety nine thereabouts. There. Yeah, my actual first um PC I ever played was actually a different Black Isle game, which was Baldur's Gate. Okay. 
Baldur's Gate is actually not a Black Isle Studios game. It was actually made by uh, Bioware. Bioware. Bioware, yeah. But both, I noticed both their names are on – when you load it up, it's got both their names on it. Right. Yeah, it's uh, Infinity Engine. But yeah, uh, Baldur's Gate, I'm a huge fan of it. I'm uh, generally a huge fan of pretty much everything Black Isle Studios made. They don't really exist anymore, but a lot of the people who used to work there formed Obsidian Entertainment, which I – Really want to like, but their track record hasn't been so hot. And they are going to be handling uh, this new Fallout, uh, New Vegas. I um, do. You, do you know what other games these guys have made? Um, they tend to do a lot of sequels. I mean, they did Nights of Level Two, Neverwinter Nights Two. Yeah, they did Neverwinter Nights Two. Um, the first one. The problem with it was, you know, bugs. It's kind of always their their trouble. I mean, they always have really good writing for the most part. The problem is, is always on the technical side. And I'm hoping that now that someone else wrote this engine, they can just sit down and, and, and block out a scenario and do a really good job on it. Unfortunately, it was the same case for Knights of the Old Republic 2. But really, to be honest, that wasn't technically their fault. That was a case where LucasArts said, hey, guess what, you're releasing your game now. And they said, but we're only a third done. They'd uh, made him do it anyway. But that one-third of what was there was actually quite good. Yeah, I really did like... I enjoyed it. <laughs> there were nights, too. Oh, oh I, I will say in their defense, like, the one really good thing that they made is the first expansion to Neverwinter Nights, Mask of the Betrayer. That is awesome. That was good. But, yeah, I mean, really, when you think about it, everything they do is, is like, it's almost really, really good, but it's brought down by the dumb bugs and some weird design things. I mean... Obsidian really should be the coolest cats on the block, but they're they're like the studio Gonzo of video game developers to, to throw in my. Oh. I mean, I want them to succeed, and they just continually not do it. But uh, the the lead for Fallout New Vegas is, uh, I believe, it's J. E. Sawyer. Correct. I th- Does your news article say? Let's see. Well, he was basically. I, I'll assume he was. I'm pretty sure I, I read that he was in fact the lead on Fallout New Vegas, but. The idea is that before Black Isle Studios went under, they were working on their own proposal for Fallout 3, and Jay yeah. Sawyer was the lead on that. And yeah, so now he's, he's, yeah, and now he's the lead on this Fallout New Vegas, so hopefully, I, I think it's in good hands. Well, I hope so too, because, you know, I, I, I really do want to see Obsidian actually pull off again. I'm actually looking forward to their Alpha Protocol game they're, they're, they're making for consoles, and I'm hoping that they give, that game has gotten the time to actually... Yeah, work all the kinks out before they actually get to release it. Yeah. That was the other thing. Like, uh, th- this other company doesn't exist now, but Troika, you remember those guys? I remember Troika. Oh, yeah. That was the other, like, after Black Isle split up, you know, a lot of the guys went and formed Troika, and then after Troika folded, that's where Obsidian came from. Another one where they should have been making really good games, like uh, Arcanum w- would have been awesome, except for all the mm-hmm. bugs. Fortunately, the fans patched that, and it's actually pretty cool now. Nice. But yeah, they, all, those guys all are involved in, uh, in Fallout in one way or another, usually. But yeah, what do you think? Uh, I mean, the biggest, you know, some might say the biggest drawback to this Fallout New Vegas is that it's not a whole new Fallout game. It is using the same Fallout 3 Oblivion sort of uh, game mechanic. But I guess if you never played the other Fallouts, maybe you don't really consider that a negative or a possible well. negative. Unlike you and unlike Basil, who only played Fallout 2, Fallout 3 was actually my first dive into 
fought the Fallout series. So do you want to start talking about it now, or do we got other news stuff? That was it. That was uh, I it. Think okay, we're, we're just gonna jump into it. Yeah, go for it. Tell um, me, how did you? What what made you decide to to go straight for part three without a part one or two? Um, I played. I saw part one and two, and I knew about them, but I never really got into them. And our friend Eric, he picked it up, and I watched him play a little bit of it. And what really got me interested into it was that it was a post-apocalyptic Washington D.C. Oh, you're talking and specifically I, about part three? Yeah, yeah. That's when I heard about that, and I was like, I could go in and you know see a bombed-out Washington Memorial or something like that. I thought that was the coolest damn thing ever. You know, there are <laughs> jerkheads who are very mad that uh, the world of Fallout Three is not geographically accurate. Really? Yeah, I know people who complain about that. Seriously. These people are communists. I, I agree. I mean... <laughs> and you know what happens that... to communists in the world of Fallout. Oh, they become weird, mutated people in a in chocolate factory, and, and you yeah. shoot out their brain with a hunting rifle. Exactly. That's how it works. The, um... I don't know. I, well, I mean, to do that in an actual video game, you would have such a large banded area to explore and it's big enough as it is in my opinion like i haven't discovered everything on the map yet and i i've there's been nights where i just spend hours you know like oh let me go look at this area oh let me go look at this hey that's cool and you know it's just it's really involved it's kind of like how oblivion all those other games were i actually went into it like sort of the polar opposite of the way you did you really? probably had played uh, Morrowind and Oblivion and that sort of thing prior, exactly. correct? That's I, where I've, I was coming from. I've never played a single Elder Scrolls game. I've never played anything by Bethesda. This is my first time because they were making a Fallout game. I have, however, played all the Fallout games leading up to this. So um, I guess for those who don't know, the Fallout is sort of this RPG from back in the 90s that's very loosely based on this old 80s RPG called Wasteland which um, you can play on emulator, but good luck doing it, because that comes from the era of games when there was no tutorial level. There's, nothing, yeah. there's no help screen or anything to explain what keys do what. You had to have the manual to play that game. And the graphics are very primitive as well, but you know, suffice to say, it was also set in this post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland sort of place, which to me is more interesting than the standard RPG high fantasy milieu i'm kind yeah, of that's... sick and tired of the uh, tolkien-esque you know elves and dwarves and wizards and that sort of thing yeah that's kind of what got me into it too as i looked more into it and i was like oh it's an rpg with like guns and you know modern technology and things like that and i was like that's a that's a nice little break from every other goddamn rpg i've ever played so yeah i also well, like the uh fact that it's hilariously violent yes Exactly. And that you could choose to make it more violent. Yes. Oh, trust me, when I got the... What, what's that uh, What's that skill blown to bits? Or, bloody uh, mess. Bloody mess. I got that every time I started a new character. <laughs> oh, but you, you, oh, not in Fallout 3, though, because they actually... There, there aren't traits in Fallout 3. There are only perks. Yeah. Do you know the difference, what I'm talking about? Uh, go ahead and explain it. All right, so. sure. Yeah, no problem. Basically... What separated Fallout from so much of the Dungeons & Dragons sort of thing was the character creation. They used a system called Special, which um, basically referred to the different attributes you had, strength, perception, 
uh, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. And those were what you were called your um, your basic, I guess, you know, stats. Yeah. And then from there, in in Fallout, in the earlier Fallout's anyway, you could optionally choose two traits, and these traits would basically give you an advantage, but also a disadvantage. One of them was never really a disadvantage. It was called Gifted. You took that pretty much every time. It was plus one to all your base stats at the expense of getting fewer skill points per level. But you get plus one to intelligence, so it doesn't matter. Right. But yeah, Bloody Mess was one of the other ones you could take where just every time you'd kill someone, it would play the uh, the most violent death animation <laughs> they had. I actually yeah. never took it because I just uh, got sick of seeing the same death animation each time. I wanted to earn that horrible uh, jibbing. There, there's been some hilarious moments in uh, in Fallout 3 that I've been playing through. I'll go through and kill a few people, and like I'll be aiming at their leg or something, and all of a sudden it'll make their head explode. Yeah, that's only because no of the, that, that what they call a perk in Fallout 3. And um, yeah. in your opinion, you've got a little more insight to this than I do. Would you say that Fallout 3 is more or less oblivion with guns? Yes and no. Um, combat obviously is different, but in the way that you interact with characters, yeah, it's well, yeah, it's pretty much the same. I mean, if you've if you've already played Oblivion, you're already familiar with the uh, how to move around, how to generally play the game, and if you've played an FPS, you just apply that knowledge on top of your. I disagree with knowledge. with the FPS part. I don't actually think that any sort of um, it, this shouldn't be called an FPS. It shouldn't really be. Compared to one, because a first-person shooter suggests that your ability to aim and hit enemies is dependent on your skill at aiming. In this case, all they've really done, and I applaud them for this, is that they changed the isometric three-quarter perspective from the previous Fallout games to a first-person one. Whether you aim and shoot someone and hit or not is dependent on your small gun's stat, just like it would be in the previous Fallout games. And I like that. I mean, some people get the wrong idea, and they say, oh my god, this is a stupid first-person shooter because, you know, <laughs> I'm aiming perfectly down the sights and not hitting them in the head like I should be. Right. But that's because they're... I guess it's a disconnect between, like, people who have played Fallout before and people who have not. It's one of those um, interesting things. But yeah, a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to play this game because I'm not good at first-person shooters. And it really doesn't have anything to do with that. And I kind of want to get that idea out there. Especially with the VAT system. Yeah, that's actually why I, I tried to play Fallout 3 because it was that way, and I'm really bad at dual analog sticks anyways. Yeah, I cannot play a first-person shooter on a console at all. Like, if I played FPS, I need a mouse. But it's why when I tried to play Mass Effect, I got it for PC. Right, right. But that wasn't a first person either. It was a third no, person. Third, it, and also it was a weird amalgamation. <laughs> right. It was still good. I, I liked Mass Effect a lot, but this podcast is not about Mass Effect. Yeah. So. The premise is Fallout. Do we want to give a general overview of the setting? I mean, we said post-apocalyptic, but I guess the idea of these games is that in alternate history 1950s, uh, the world was obliterated by nuclear warfare. And um, in the previous Fallout games prior to 3 and and Fallout Tactics, they all took place on the West Coast, uh, specifically, you know, some 
area roughly approximating California. And the idea was just, you know, what sort of weird societies survived or, you know, came into existence after the bombs. Especially thanks to the vaults. Right. Yeah. And the vaults. So t- tell us about them. Well, pretty much they, they, you know, the U.S. realized or the world realized that, hey, we're about to enter a nuclear wasteland. So we should probably create these vaults to, you know, shelter people, especially the privileged and, you know, the, the not people who work at Walmarts of the world. <laughs> but what they didn't realize was that that was actually a bunch of social experiments that people who are even more in charge were conducting to see what the hell would happen yeah. if we screw with people in these vaults. So you get things like only people at 15 up are in this vault or maybe we'll have all the things shut down mm-hmm. or maybe the doors actually won't shut before the radiation gets in. Right. I think there was one that was like a whole bunch of girls and one guy and a whole bunch of guys and one girl vault, that kind of thing. Fill in the blanks there if you want. Yeah, that was actually um, a retcon from part two where they said, oh, the, the vault surprise, they're actually a weird social experiment. That wasn't originally the case, or maybe, you know, supposedly it was always the case, you know, if you want to say, you know, yeah. kind of retcon city. But, yeah, the idea was, yes, people had bought vaults very much like how people uh, bought fallout shelters yeah. in, during the Cold War because it's like, oh, if bombs fall, we can go in the fallout shelter. Well, these were giant meant to house, like, large groups like of people. people. And so... They were able to survive, of course, since they were completely isolated from the outside world. When they go out to see the real world, it's a total shock to them. And so, generally speaking, in the Fallout games, you play a vault dweller, or in the case of Fallout 2, a descendant of one, because it lets you, the player, also be introduced to this weird world at the same time as your character is. Right. That way, when the NPCs encounter you and you don't know about something very fundamental, it's because, oh, yeah, what, have you been living in a vault? Actually, yes. Yes, I have. But yeah, that was one of the – I always thought it was interesting was the mythos of Fallout. It's one of the things that I really – why I actually went back and I wanted to start playing Fallout 2. And I was actually kind of annoyed. I think I actually might stop it and play back to Fallout 1 because I actually wanted to play someone who came out of a vault. Whereas Fallout 2, you played their descendant. And I was like, oh, well, this feels a little bit more – generic to me because i'm now just playing it fallout 2 did have a very bad beginning and that's part of what turned a lot of people off of it but yeah i mean once you actually got out of that opening area the game was great the problem was you wouldn't have known that unless maybe you'd played the original fallout oddly enough i actually played fallout 2 before the first one I, i started playing it then at one point just sort of saved my game and said you know what i'm playing through part one now and then i did that and then went back to it but um, the original Fallout uh, was quite remembered for its ending, where the idea was, okay, um, you're a denizen of this vault, and the water chip, the chip that purifies the water and makes it potable for human consumption, breaks in the vault. And so you've only got a certain amount of time to go and, and find a replacement water chip before everyone in the vault runs out of water. And, you know, you go out in the world and you do all the crazy Fallout-like things that there are to do. And uh, eventually you find out there's some bigger thing going on here and you, with the super mutants and all that. And when you beat the game, you go back to the vault and the overseer says, you know what? You saved us and all that and thanks. Uh, you're a, a real pal. 
but you can never come back in here again because you've been tainted by the outside world. And the ending of Fallout 1 is just, you know, your character walking off all by himself out into the, to the wasteland. Wow. <laughs> and, and that's a pretty, you know, hardcore ending to give to a game, especially, you know, one from the early 90s. Yeah. Even now, that's kind of a weird ending to give to a game. And so the idea is Fallout 2 is set 80 years after the fact where, you know, you're a descendant of this guy. You founded some sort of tribal village. But yes, sure enough, something ends up happening where, you know, the, the village is dying and you need to go out in there and get something. And as forth, your character heads out in the outside world. And if for anyone interested, you can actually now pretty easily get a hold of Fallout 1 and 2. Uh, thanks to good old games. Yeah, GOG.com. Which is how I did it. Uh, first, I tried, because I, I used GameTap, which also has Fallout 1 and 2. And technically, you pay a, it's a monthly fee to play all these games they have for free because you're paying for the service. However, they recently changed from a program to a browser plugin. Oh. And as far as I can tell, the browser plugin's borked because every time I try to load it up, it'll go, you need to install the plugin. I've already installed the plugin. So I reinstall the plugin. And then I reset, restart Firefox. They asked me to install the plugin again. I bet it only works with IE. That might be it. That, that might be it. But I tried it for like an hour. I actually got to work, got to run Fallout 2, and I was playing it. Then suddenly it freezes. A thing pops up says I need to restart the browser. As soon as I restarted the browser, everything crashed. Huh. Well, yeah. So, Fortunately, the good thing about uh, GOG.com is there's no DRM or anything. You download the games and you own it. You, uh, you can you know, do whatever you want with it after that. And they're doing pretty well. I mean, it goes to show, like, oh, people are wondering, hey, why aren't people just going to pirate everything you guys sell? But, no, people want to support them. And I encourage people to support that site because they do really good work. They patch the games and do what's necessary to get them working on modern systems, which uh, for some games is quite difficult. And, you know, it looks better. Like, so I play the game's head version, I play the good old games, and the good old games looks noticeably better. So I think they really? did some extra tweaking, so I think it actually will look more decent. I mean, it still looks old, but it still looks more decent than if you just were to grab a, I think, a vanilla version from a disc and load Game it yourself. Tap, as you mentioned, GameTap is also trying to fit that into a browser instead of... What? Well, no. What happens with uh, things like Fallout is that it actually loads the program. You oh. just have to launch it from the browser, which oh, made it even more okay. annoying. Oh, that's dumb. <laughs> But I just wanted to throw that out there. So if you were anyone's interested in playing Fallout 1 or 2, you it's can. It's $10 for both of them. You know, I think it's like 6 bucks for individual ones. I might go ahead and purchase that after this podcast so uh, I can catch up to the rest of you. Installation is a cinch, too. Like, you, you say install, and it just installs. Cool. It's really nice. Yeah, so and so you can also get uh, another one called Fallout Tactics, which gets a bad rap online, but it's actually a pretty decent game for what it is. It's a little more um, squad combat-based. In the other Fallout games, you only ever controlled your main character. You didn't have control over the NPCs. In Fallout Tactics, you can control a squad. It's not really as RPG-based or uh, heavy as uh, the earlier two games. But uh, for the type of game it is, it's pretty good. I, admittedly, I wasn't a big fan of the fact that they made it more real-time than turn-based. The, other, the original two Fallout games were turn-based games. That's how combat was handled. And Fallout Tactics supposedly let you toggle between real-time and turn-based, but 
it was one of those cases where if you tried to play it in turn-based, it broke the AI completely. Because it was uh, an afterthought, unfortunately. But uh. that's also on GOG. It's a pretty good game. Whatever you do, stay away from Fallout Brotherhood of Steel. It's a PS2 game. <laughs> Absolute garbage. The only person who played it is Dave Riley, who wrote the Game Facts entry for it and hated every second of doing so. Oh, wow. Be sure uh, to talk to Dave Riley about uh, some Fallout Brotherhood of Steel. I, I, or I don't. Checking, when I was, after I was playing Fallout 3, I was checking out the other Fallout games, and I heard mention of Brotherhood of Steel. <laughs> so I went to look at it, and I was like, hmm, I think I'll be skipping that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's absolute garbage. Not really in keeping with the Fallout theme setting, uh, gameplay style. It was just a... Interplay was going bankrupt, and they were trying to do a quick cash-in, and so they said, oh, let's do something and put Fallout on it, and people will buy it. Unfortunately, the Fallout fan base is probably the worst fan base ever as far as being on the internet is concerned. Um, these people – have you ever gone to Fallout fan forums? Anybody? No. no. Good. No, never, never do it. <laughs> It's uh, full of a bunch of really whiny, ungrateful people who just uh, cannot accept any other game being Fallout other than the first Fallout. These people think Fallout 2 is terrible. They think Fallout Tactics is garbage. Uh, Nothing will satisfy these people. They're impossible to please, and I'm kind of glad that they were more or less ignored for making Fallout 3 because you know what? Nothing that you could do would satisfy them anyway. So why bother? And from what I can tell, Fallout 3 does a really, really great job of being a different game style with being a you know, more third, first slash third person, but it still very much keeps the feel of it. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I think the main changes are that they, they greatly simplified uh, character creation, and more importantly, they greatly oversimplified the morality of the game. Um, one of my problems with a lot of uh, these newer RPGs is that you can either be absolutely good or absolutely evil. And maybe if you're playing Star Wars, that's acceptable because it's a world in which there's absolute good and absolute evil. But what made Fallout so good was the ambiguity of everything. There were multiple solutions to pretty much any given problem, and you could more or less do whatever you wanted. Let's say you came across a merchant and he was selling some expensive items that you just didn't have the money for. You could kill that merchant and then take everything he had in the store. You had that option. That's not really something you tend to see in other games like that. And you wouldn't really get penalized for it. Even in, like, say, Baldur's Gate, which I like, if you try and, and just murder people, it'll, the game will just summon invincible guards, or you'll suffer, like, this reputation penalty that'll make people attack you on sight. And that kind of was a problem in the first two Fallout games. You know, um... If you made a town angry at you, they'd be angry at you forever. In Fallout 3, if you kill someone and everyone gets angry at you, you just leave and wait three days, and then they forget that you murdered their friend. Yeah. I'm well, also, it's the radiation that gets to their memories. Yes, obvious. I've also heard... I haven't actually been able to test this, but I've heard if you, uh, if you make a town pissed off at you, you can go to other towns who haven't you know, heard of your misdoings or what, and they'll treat you just fine. And, you know, occasionally it'll grow, or if you don't go in that town for a while, they'll forget, like you were saying. I know Eric had a big issue where he wanted, he, his first character, he wanted to be a gentleman thief. Yeah. Who stole, but still had a heart of gold. And he totally couldn't actually do it. 
Yeah, because every every time you steal or do something like that, you lose karma, and you have to be. It kind of forces you to be an evil character if you go that route. Yeah, and and that was kind of like uh, the other thing about the other Fallout games is that it was one of the only games where you were permitted to kill children. And one of the big yeah. one of the big uh, complaints about Fallout Three is that they took this ability out. They had children in the game. You cannot kill children. You can attack them, and they will get mad. But, no, you cannot blow a small child's brains out unless you mod the game, which is, you know, the first thing you should do is mod it to allow the option. Granted, I would never really bother to do it because the penalty for killing children, you get that child killer karma stain, and, you know, if people don't take kindly to it, they'll send assassins after you or whatever. But the, the fact that you were permitted to do it, like there was one town in the earlier fallouts that was comprised entirely of child thieves. They'd walk up to you and pickpocket you and, and then bring it back to a merchant, all the stuff they'd steal. And then the merchant would sell things to you. And so you could do hilarious things like uh, arm a bomb on somebody and then have him bring back the bomb to the merchant and then kill the guy with it. But, you know, Interesting. You, you could do all kinds of outside-the-box kind of stuff in the other Fallout games that you really couldn't do in Fallout 3. I kind of miss that. And the other thing I really really dislike about Fallout 3 um, the endings who's, yeah. who's beaten the game I have Okay, I, I've read the endings you've read the endings okay in the original Fallout games the ending was sort of not like a one ending sort of thing the way the ending was was based on your solutions to the various quests in the game it would tell you what became of that place as a result of your deeds so if you did an evil solution to something, it would say, like, oh, this place was obliterated and now all that remains is, you know, this horrible monument to non-existence thanks to you or, you know, that sort of thing. And it would go through for each and every place and sort of tell you, this is what happened to it. Fallout 3, when I saw there were all those locations and all those quests and all those different ways of doing things, I thought, like, oh, wow, there's going to be tons of different endings. No. <laughs> Your morality doesn't matter in Fallout 3. It, all that matters is the final decision you make. And that, that was one of the only complaints I had about the original Deus Ex. Was that you could do different solutions to things, but really the only thing that affected the ending was the, ch- the very last choice you made. Kind there of annoying. That, but and yeah, Fallout 3 is the worst ending ever. It seems like the ending to Fallout 3 is like made up of all these little snippets. And they were trying to mark it as you have over 150 endings, blah, blah, blah. That's a total lie. You have three endings. And the only difference between the ending is a slight change in the cutscene. You know where they got that 150 number from? Or whatever the crazy number was? Mm -hmm. Because when you create your character, you can choose the appearance of your character. And at the end of Fallout 3, they show a picture of you as a kid. And... (laughs) It's a different ending if you said that you were black instead of white. Oh, oh, oh. No, it's, it's not. It's true. That's but. marketing lies. So, well, I know the, the third expansion coming out for it's possible supposed to change things because you actually will no longer, the game won't actually end. Mm. It'll actually it'll be an epilogue. They'll pick up where you left off. So, huh. they'll have to change the ending somehow to make that work. Yeah. They're, well, it's easy to change the ending. I mean, really. The, the big problem with it was they gave you the option to have NPCs, which they say was a last-minute decision. But think of this way. It, it comes down to this, and you know this is a spoiler warning, but whatever. The very last choice you make in Fallout 3 is 
there's a room filled with radiation. Someone has to go into that room and activate something, but if you go in there, you'll die from the radiation. Your choices are you can either go in or not go in or send um, one other person to go in, and, and then they'll die. And those are your only choices. But what annoys me so much is that there are characters in this game, some of whom can join you, that are either immune to radiation or heal from it. And right before oh the God. end of the game, they actually give you one of these characters. In the second-to-last quest, where all you have to do is do the last quest, they give you a character who's completely immune to radiation. But since they didn't think to do NPCs in the game, even though this NPC in question will solve a quest for you where there's an exact same scenario, where there's radiation in this room and you can't live if you go in there, but he can, he won't do it. None of your NPCs will do it. And uh, it's completely frustrating and horrible and just sums up what is so infuriating about Bethesda's design you know, policies. They've got good ideas and they just didn't really think through a lot of this stuff. That, that part in particular made me so angry. Like, I was shouting on the screen, just go in there! Right. Just go do it! <laughs> but no, but, they won't do it. And, no. you know, you, they could have fixed it by just saying, for this last mission, no NPC allies. You gotta do it yourself. For whatever reason. Because, oh, Brotherhood of Steel only, or something like that. Yeah. That's all they needed to do. Simple. And then no one would be complaining. But no, they said, oh, this'll be great, we'll do this instead. Idiots. <laughs> well, I guess because they wanted to... They want you to convince that one NPC to so give you that extra option. Yeah, I don't know. It's but, but Anyway, the, the downloadable content, they're sort of learning from their mistake. And you're going to, one, up the level cap by another ten levels, which is fine. And then, you know, add some harder enemies, supposedly. And that's another of my big um, complaints about Fallout 3. I would say by level four or five, I was completely invincible. Nothing could touch me. And, and yeah. the level cap is like you know, 20 or something like that. And it's only like a few hours into the game you hit level four or five. And the trouble is, is just your weapons, as you repair them, they become more powerful. And you can kill pretty much anything in the game with one hit. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Oblivion, did that have enemies that scaled and level with you? Yes, yes, as you gain it. Ble- enemies weren't necessarily a higher level than you, but everything raised levels with you, so everything remained consistent. That was kind of a neat touch that they added to the game. You know, and maybe it, Fallout 3 does the same thing or something similar. Because yeah. I don't really think there's cases where it's like, oh, you go into so-and-so region, and these things will kill you, with the exception of maybe the Death Claws. Yeah. I mean, super mutants, you, you kill them in one b- bullet. You have so much ammunition lying around it's ridiculous that was another thing about the previous fallout games and some people consider this an improvement to fallout 3 i do not consider it an improvement ammunition weighs nothing yeah i don't know i can you, understand you can understand it because like it's sort of like a first person thing but in other fallout games ammunition had weight it was a small weight but a weight nonetheless and it made you consider okay what weapons do i take with me what yeah. ammunition do I take with me? What is worthwhile keeping? And what do I trade away? In Fallout 3, you have unlimited ammunition carrying capacity and unlimited storage because you get a house. In Fallout 2, they sort of gave you uh, unlimited storage because you got a car with a trunk in it. But I, I kind of think it's sort of a... It's, it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't care about 
if he hadn't played the other Fallout games. But since I have... I hadn't, so... Right. Most people uh, had not. They just played Fallout 3 without playing the other ones because, again, the other games are very old. And um, this one is a a much newer game based on a a very popular developer, Bethesda. People liked Oblivion. I can sort of see the design decision. I know, like, just for example, tabletop role-playing. Never play games like Shadowrun. Where technically you can, you have a, you buy your bullets. Most of my friends would go, eh, don't worry about it. You have unlimited bullets, just because it was easier to take care of that way. So I, on that I, subject, off topic, but the Shadowrun game for Genesis and also Super Nintendo was really good. Shadowrun game for yeah. 360, burn it with you know. Yeah, it's true. It's horrible. Yeah, it's uh, just. They tried to make it a Counter-Strike or something, and it just failed horribly. Well, I know some people who, I'm not going to go so far as to say that was the case with Fallout 3, but they say the level of changes in Fallout 3 was that sort of thing. I disagree, but, you know, you can see why they tr- what they were thinking when they said, oh, let's remake Shadowrun into this. It's kind of like, let's remake this RPG into a quasi-first-person shooter. I can see why people would think that. I don't think it's the case with Fallout 3. I think it's pretty faithful... In most ways, but devil's in the details. Right. As you were saying. Well, well, Shadowrun, I'm a hard... I'm very much intellectual things like lore or Shadowrun. And when I actually saw the story they came up with, the Shadowrun Gamer 360, I was like, what the hell? (laughs) But Fallout, from what I can tell, thematically, it's it's much, much closer than, than Shadowrun ever was. It feels like it's much more in line with the Super Nintendo Genesis game was with the role-playing tabletop game, it, where it's different, but still, it has the right idea mm. to it, whereas you know, like Fallout 3 has the right general idea to it than the previous Fallouts, but it's still very much its own take on it. Gotcha. I can't really comment, because I haven't played the first two, so... Yeah, I mean, I can see uh, some people were really hung up on the West Coast setting, which to me doesn't matter. It's the post-apocalyptic, retro 1950s America. That's really what the Fallout setting is at a higher level. Some people were really mad. There was for Fallout Tactics, Brotherhood of Steel. They were saying, oh, there shouldn't be Brotherhood of Steel in that area of the country. Brotherhood of Steel is a group that only exists on this side of the country. And so in Fallout 3, you have to see that the reason the Brotherhood chapter exists in the first place is because there was some lengthy expedition. And then Uh, there's actually uh, two factions of Brotherhoods. There's the Outcasts and the Brotherhood. And believe it or not, the Outcasts are actually more like the real Brotherhood of Steel than the Brotherhood of Steel is in Fallout 3. And and they they do fortunately make mention of this fact. They say, oh... um, the guy in charge of the chapter strayed from his mission and, you know, became too fond of the local populace there. And therefore the outcasts split off to, to keep it real, so to speak. And hopefully one of the things that you'll get to do, like one of the quests when they release the new fallout DLC is, is reconcile the factions. Cause you were thinking that'd be something to be able to do, but no, nothing ever came of it. Oh, hey, have you tried the, the current two downloadable packs yet? Yeah, or? that's, I was wondering what your opinion was on those, if you've played them yet. I, I haven't had I, a chance. I have played them. Uh, there, there are two, two so far. One is called Operation Anchorage, and the other is called The Pit. And, and the idea of these is, 
Operation Anchorage is basically a hollow deck adventure in that they um, talk about the the, liber- the liberation of Alaska from the communists. In, in the other Fallout games, the communists were Soviets, but the Soviet right. Union isn't really the threat anymore. China is now the more modern day communist threat. So China are the commies in this one? Exactly. So now the, the commies are now a red Chinese. Not really a big deal, but. Operation Anchorage, honestly, doesn't play like the game proper at all. It plays like an arcade shooter. In fact, it's meant to be like a video game. When you kill your enemies, they sort of fade away, like a sort of the Matrix sort of effect, like with mm-hmm. the static, and then they disappear. It's to remind you that it's all a simulation, man. But if you die <laughs> in the simulation, you die in real life. <laughs> and you get some extra weapons, and yeah, you can give some rudimentary commands to people, but it, it's... Just very sort of, eh, whatever. The pit is, the idea of it is uh, it's around Pittsburgh. It's set on a train. There's mm-hmm. uh, weird groups of factions of raiders and you know all sorts of weird stuff on the train and things go on. Not quite Bacchano, but you know, there you go. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, if anything, if there's any, oh, spoilers. Now, if there's any argument for why you should wait until the new expansion comes out before you play any of the other expansions... They didn't up the level cap. Really? Uh, yeah, well, the, still the, it's still 20. So if you were to play through those expansions now, you'd just be doing it for its own sake. If, huh. if you were to get all three of the expansions and then play them, then you could at least be getting XP, you know? Yeah. But again, not like it really matters as far as fighting the foes because you're so powerful to begin with. Even with like the. I, I was just going through the whole game with the hunting rifle, to be honest. That was my default weapon. There was really little need for me to switch to any other thing. It's like, oh boy, I better save the fat man until I find another crazy boss. And then there's never another crazy boss. Yeah, I had a using my preference, I think, was the Chinese assault rifles and stuff like that. Yeah, as, as, as I referred to it, the Chinese shit, because I'm a big yeah. fan of Crank. But <laughs> yeah, that and the hunting rifle. If they got too close, I'd switch to the, the specialized Chinese assault rifle, the uh, Zhuan Wanong, or however you say that. Right. But yeah, I mean, just been my no challenge point. whatsoever. I mean, the other Fallout games, it was uh, it was difficult until you got power armor, and then you were unstoppable. But you didn't get power armor until like the end of the game. In this case, well, same, it's the same thing too. Same in this one. Um, but you're already invincible by the time you get the power armor. It's like, ah, eh, so what? All this power armor is doing is making it harder for me to sneak. I don't need this. <laughs> My my only problem was uh, with that. Sometimes you'd be like right up next to the character, have like a ninety eight percent hit rating, and you could just unload, and somehow you'd still miss, even though your skill in that weapon or that genre weapons were maxed out. You still had that chance, even though you're right up to the guy, and all of a sudden, all three of your assault gun bursts like just blow past the guy, and you you're screwed after that. That's sort of one of the things where you sort of have to take, you know, just go with it because yeah. you can't have the thing where, you know, you don't have to actually put that first person shooter because it's, you know, skill point based. Yeah. But then you have to also accept the chance that sometimes you're just going to flub. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's just kind of ridiculous seeing you, like, even if you walk up to the guy, you still have a chance to flub. Like, have, have his barrel, like... If you're actually right too up- close, I think it makes you a little more likely to miss. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, to actually watch that, especially with the animations when you start firing, it just, 
it makes it look ridiculous. I understand why they do it, and I understand, like, you know, there are dice rolls going on in the background. And yeah, all I, that. I think the problem is that they didn't really enumerate that to the player. I think a lot of people were expecting the sort of Halo Call of Duty controls yeah. and wondering, why isn't it working? And they really should have communicated that better. I mean, I knew what I was getting into going into it, but... I can understand why people would not be paying attention to things like your action points and what have you. Yeah. Although, I can at least say, because I'm a horrible GameStop drone, it's a lot harder to sell the game to people if you mention that it's, it's skill point based. Uh, I just told them, well, it's, kind, it's an RPG, but it plays like a shooter. And they go, oh, okay, that sounds awesome. But if I were to tell them that technically their ability to actually aim wasn't going to be that much of an effect... They probably wouldn't be so interested, but but normally when I sell them this thing, they'll come back later and go, "Oh man, that was a great idea." Mm. And a lot of I think so. I can see them why they didn't quite enumerate as well as because it's a lot easier to pitch it otherwise. I I think that's part of my whole general gripe with the game is its general fundamental dishonesty in marketing. Um, a lot of people, if you just listen to the marketing, I intentionally avoided everything. But after I played the game, I did go back and look at, like, what the previews and stuff were saying. They were hyping this game up as, like, the ultimate sandbox environment where you can go anywhere and do anything. And that's just not true. It's also not what Fallout is. And so I can understand why people would be let down by it if they went in expecting that kind of gameplay, which, honestly, I don't think technology is truly there yet to support. I mean, there are sandbox games, but there's not, like, the you-are-free-to-do-anything kind of game. And, and there probably won't be for quite some time, and I'm not sure if you'd want it, even if there was. But the, the marketing with like all the stuff, with like 150 endings and all that stuff, I think that's really what clouds a lot of people's uh, opinion of it. That and preconceived notions of what Fallout is supposed to be, which more or less covers all your bases right there of, yeah. of people who'd be playing this game. I mean, for me, I think, let's talk about the good things that Fallout 3 did, because it kind of seems like we've been hating on it, and I actually yeah, enjoy I mean, the game immensely, despite the I mean, fact it's that a it's a little game. different. I, I enjoyed every moment I had playing it, but like, well, I've already brought this up, but I have to bring it up again, like, the, the massive world, it's just, you know, you can get lost just by going in and exploring stuff, and like, filling up the markers on your map, and that kind of thing, and you know, you can go to familiar landmarks in Washington, D.C., and just see how the fallout would have affected it. And I found that, I found that fascinating, personally. You like the world, the setting. Yeah, exactly. I, that's, that's, a, that's a big part of the appeal of it, is not necessarily like the other games you weren't necessarily seeing famous landmarks, but yeah, the fact that it is this post-apocalyptic, you know, Mad Max, Fist of the North Star sort of thugs walking yeah. around. My personal favorite thing was uh, how they transitioned the ludicrous gore and violence from the previous games into a 3D engine. And let me tell you, once you see someone's brainstem flying at you in slow motion as the camera spins around, never, ever gets old. No. No, the different The different goofy camera angles they would do, that would be your reward for doing that VAT system, is that you'd get the hilarious camera angle, and the obscene, like, you shoot a guy in the head, and he flies straight up roughly 90 feet and does like six somersaults as you know his head explodes and eyeballs and stuff always you know fall on the ground and you can loot just the eyeball and it counts as searching the corpse i mean this is what gameplay is people (laughs) 
the eyeball was carrying six rounds of ammunition. I swear. Even though I can't play the game, it's always been entertaining. Is all my friends like J- you know James and Eric and whoever are listening to other game podcasts, and they'll constantly come up with these stories of what they're doing in the various quests and all the mm-hmm. different situations they they're, they're put in. It just always sounds really interesting and makes me really annoyed that I can't play this game. Yeah, because one thing that was fascinating, like I was playing this game at the same time as three or four of my friends, and all of us did totally different things. Like, exactly. That's the strength of this this game. I mean, okay, it's not quite as open as the marketing claimed, but it's still very open. It's still very you can go everywhere and, and do a lot of things. I just think there's not a whole lot of replayability to it the way there was in the other Fallout games. In the other Fallout games, it wasn't just a matter of you create another character with different skills. It was also the fact that your actions actually had real consequence to the ending as well as to, you know, how certain things play out. Uh, and, and Fallout 3 has that to an extent as well. Like, um, the main quest is terrible. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I uh, highly encourage everyone to just do all the side stuff first and then do the main quest. Um, if you played Oblivion, is that the same thing in that? Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I heard that the, the main enough... like awesome quest was like some sort of assassin related thing. Yeah, um, you know, you got to go save the rest of the world and all that junk, typical RPG plotline. But there was enough other stuff going on in the world, like you could do enough quests that you didn't really have to go back to the main storyline and. Like, some of these side quests took hours and hours to do, and they felt like their own little... They felt like they should have been part of the main plot, but they weren't. Yeah, they felt more interesting than the actual main quest. And I think the same is very true here. I think um, you meet a lot more interesting characters on the side quests. I think you're actually just doing more varied tasks on the side quests than you are in the main one. But I also like how you could just be wandering around on your own and solve most of the main quest accidentally without actually going through it. <laughs> like, your, your job is to find somebody. And you can just find that guy. Yeah. On your yeah. own. Independently you of going through from point A to point B to point C, you could go straight there. And that's a, a good strength of the game. I, I, I like that idea. I like uh, having that freedom in the game. Yeah. That's something you don't really see a lot of. What I enjoyed was uh, I actually played through the main quest. I burned through it on my first playthrough. Then I re-rolled, created a different character, you know, made made my evil character that didn't give a damn. Yeah, that's really the only three types of characters you can make. You can make good, evil, or neutral. In the other Fallout games, if you set your intelligence to lowest, it would change every conversation in the game. (laughs) Because everyone would talk to you like you were an idiot because you were. And then there was one point where you met, like, the village idiot, and you end up having the most high-level erudite conversation there is because only the two idiots can truly understand. That was wow. the kind of detail that went into Fallout, the previous ones. That's pretty cool. But, not, but... To, to be fair, though, in the previous Fallouts, there were really only um, a couple of different archetypical characters you could make as well. Like, you could either make a, a long-range melee kind of character, a short-range one, or a stealth kind of one. And you can mix and match that with your skills. Like, the main thing was what people would call a Diplo sniper. You were somebody who was good at talking their way out of things and high charisma, but you are also good at small guns. 
And in the world of Fallout, mm-hmm. small guns covers everything up to an assault rifle and a sniper rifle. Yeah, yeah. In this one, though, like, what were your builds, like your general character types? The first one, my first one was maxed out small guns. And he was generally just, he was more focused on, you know, guns, but he was the good character. He was the one that rescued the baby from the burning building, try to work everything out through talk. Um, my other character was, you know, the badass that didn't care. He had, he had the specialization in explosions and mines. He was the lock picker. He was the thief. Um, if I got annoyed with a character, I'd just shoot him because I didn't care, that kind of thing. And, oh, it was, it really does make the game a lot different. Uh, some would argue that playing an evil character does make the game a bit easier because you have more access to items and money and that kind of thing. But I don't know. I, I, I've been I enjoyed playing both. Granted, my evil one is the one that's going out and exploring the world and that kind of thing. Though, admittedly, I still haven't found the damn dog. The, the dog is actually he's um, quite close by to the minefield area, just mm-hmm. due southwest of it. Maybe he's in a re- relatively randomized sort of place, but that's where I found him. I found him in a junkyard. I never liked the dog in part one, to be honest. So I didn't really. I just t- told him to stay at my house. <laughs> Rover, just stay here. I'm going to go... Dog meat, the thank you. That kind of thing. Dog meat, yeah, that's it. Same name from part one. Yeah. Well, uh, I think of- one thing in, in favor of Fallout 3, I know a lot of people don't like this part, but in the other Fallout games, you had a huge, huge amount of skills you could put into things. Mm-hmm. And what they did for Fallout 3 was they consolidated a lot of these things into fewer skills, each of which were generally a little more useful. For example, in in the first Fallout games, you had one skill called First Aid, and you had another skill called Doctor. These were separate skills. In Fallout 3, they were merged and combined into basically First Aid or Medicine or something like that. I think it was First Aid. It was just called First Aid, and that encompassed both. First Aid was the act of healing uh, hit points. Doctor was the act of healing crippled limbs. Hmm. They were separate things that you uh, needed. Repair was virtually useless. Science was virtually useless. Explosives wasn't really that big a deal. I would say repair must be the most important skill now in Fallout 3. Well, yeah. You, I never noticed that, but you said that the weapons got better as you repaired them? They got much, much... They did more damage. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and the ammunition relatively stayed the same. And that was another thing. They didn't really have multiple types of ammunition for the same gun. Yeah, um, well, going back to the way how people could play different ways, I never really bothered to repair a lot of stuff. I just... There was so much wep- so many weapons lying around anyway. i just toss it. Replace it with something else, and you know I was Jason really Statham way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was the transporter. Why, why? Why are you talking like Arnold? I don't know. He's the other actor. He's Jason Statham. You, know. <laughs> you have to talk like this. I, I don't want. I can't do a Jason Statham. I can do. No one can do his voice. It's I only have Arnold. All right. I only have, I'm a cop, you idiot. You blew but my no, cover. Yeah. No, this is my Jason Statham. It's narrow. I can't, I can't do it. No one can. That's why he's a star. High voltage, good or bad? Oh, the greatest. <laughs> what are you talking about? Go and, go and see it now because it made no money and it's going to be out of the theater come oh, Friday. Man. You, you have really to go. To see it. Did you see part one? 
I did see Crank. Okay, good. Okay, good. You saw you saw part one. You are ready to see part two. Go now. This podcast is over, as a matter of fact, because <laughs> you're going to see it right now. It's over. We gotta go see High Voltage. Yes, sir. I guarantee you, if you find a better movie this year, I, I they got all this other X Men and Transformers, Terminator, whatever. Whatever. No, none, nothing. None of them's beating this. The only one that might beat it is Game. Same people oh, who uh, made Crank. Only this time, it's Gerard Butler, uh-oh. King Leonidas well, from Three Hundred. Oh God! What's what's the premise on game? Does the he premise, have to play board games? Till no, he dies the premise something? on game is there's an MMO where you take control of people oh, and do offline oh PKing. Oh, oh God! Oh man! And it's yeah, gonna be the best movie ever made. Oh well, apparently I have to go see High Voltage. <laughs> yes, you do. So anyway, are we are we running a little long as far as Awesome Cast time goes, or what? Uh, kind of, sorta. I think we should we should go ahead and end it with the uh, how many awesomes out of awesome you think uh, Fallout Three is. That's how we rate things, is because we think actual numerical values is kind of stupid. Yeah. Um. So we rate things how many awesomes out of awesome as something. I see. Like I could say, like fifty giblets of meat exploding from a head's awesome. Awesome. Yes. Giblets. Yes. Uh, I see. I think I think that I think that sums up my awesome out of awesome right there. I, I, I would say it's uh, one megaton bomb exploding a city just because it's obstructing my view. Levels of awesome. Yes, <laughs> yes, that too. What a hilarious explosion! Yes, I was I so happy. I mean, it's I worth starting an evil character just to see that explosion. It was. I did it on my second, my evil and, character. And then it shoot was... that man and take his jacket and then run around with his jacket for the rest of the game. The funny thing is, if you kill him and you kill his assistant, you gain karma. Oh, yeah, cause, well, because he's an evil character. Exactly. And I actually did it as a good character, mainly because I just wanted his jacket. Yes. His hilarious guess... tenpenny robe. Because, I again, guess... you're so powerful at the end of the game, or not even at the end of the game, very quickly... That you can just wear whatever ridiculous outfit you want. Yeah. And, and I was it's just not going to. The leather jacket and motorcycle helmet, or maybe it was the firefighter helmet. <laughs> just walk around looking ridiculous. All right. So, what about you, Basil? Um, well, since I didn't actually play Fallout 3, I really feel like I could rate it, but Fallout 2 is, is very pretty damn awesome for. Um, I for the few the hours I've now put into it, I think you'll like it a lot. It's one of my favorite game experiences like ever. I'm really interested in actually playing the first Fallout, seeing how that is. You, you got to do it. I mean, go back and play the other two. They're really cheap now. They're really accessible. They still hold up very well, and they run on modern systems yep. flawlessly. I, I just remember when it first came out, I'd look at the box when I was a little tight and be like, "That game looks cool. I want to play it," but I never actually did. See, for me, what it was, was I was playing Baldur's Gate. Like, I talked to a friend of mine, whoever it was, at school, and they're like, you played Baldur's Gate? Have you, did you play Fallout? And I'm like, no, what's Fallout? And they explained to me, I'm like, that sounds like the greatest thing ever. And it is. <laughs> I just never had a chance until now. Well. But thank you very much, for Daryl. For yes, Daryl. Yeah, no problem. I don't really get to talk about games that often. As you say, I'd really like to talk about the thief series at one point but no one i know plays those games those are like a huge part like thief fallout um wing commander tie fighter and and free space these are kind of like the things that stole my youth 
wow, as far I, I as gaming. All of those except for, uh, well, I played a little bit of Wing Commander, but I never got into it. But I played Thief One and Two, and I did play uh, Free Space. I think we might only get a Wing Commander because I know Kevin played a lot of Wing Commander. Oh man, you're coming back. You're coming back for Wing Commander. Yeah, I was. I was a huge. That that was like I played through all of them. I used to know tons and stuff. Tons of stuff about that. Anyway, I got to go. My phone's ringing. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. No problem. Thanks for coming. And with that, we're out.